I'm watching it while Cynthia and Marty Ackerman are going to brought a fucking Pomeranian bowling? I brought it bowling. I didn't rent it shoes. I'm not buying it a fucking beer. He's not taking your fucking turn, dude. And if my fucking ex-wife asked me to take care of her fucking dog while she and her boyfriend went to Honolulu, I'd tell her to go fuck herself. Why can't you board it? First of all, dude, you don't have an ex. Secondly, this is a fucking show dog with fucking papers. You can't board it. It gets upset. Hey, its man, hair falls out. Walter. Fucking no. dog has fucking papers. Over the line! Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey. You were over the line. That's a foul. Bullshit. Market eight, dude. Uh, excuse me. Market zero. Next frame. Bullshit, Walter. Market eight, dude. Smokey, this is not nom. This is bowling. There are rules. Hey, Walter, come on. It's just... Hey, man, it's Smokey, so his toe slipped over a little, you know? It's just a game, man. This is a league game. This determines who enters the next round robin. Am I wrong? Yeah, but I wasn't... Am I wrong? Yeah, but I wasn't over. Give me the... This is Gutterballs, the Lebowski Deepcast. Oh, it's a heist movie. No, it's a stoner movie. In each episode, Brad and Adam discuss a single minute of The Big Lebowski. Welcome to Incest in Space. Providing insight. He's making a ransom letter on his table to swindle money. Commentary. Got my half and half. In the bowling ball, I'm going home. And conjecture. His brother is River Phoenix. <laughs> Are they related to Rivers Cuomo? That's one for the canon of the history of film. And now, Gutterball. Here we are. Ep 18. Yes, number 18. I can't believe. Every episode just becomes more and more unbelievable that... We're doing this, and we're making <laughs> this progress. Ep- this episode is old enough to vote and die in any war. But Face not down in the muck. <laughs> can't, uh, can't drink yet, though. Yeah. So, so we did get a, uh, some, some listener feedback, which, speaking of not being able to believe things, like there's people actually listening to this, which means, you know, outside of, like, the one listener... We now might actually have two or three. Well, it's the royal listener. The proverbial listener. Yes, yes. But we did get some feedback from Eric E. And um, we're, you know, I think you, Adam, were having a little conversation with him on email. And he pointed out something uh, rather uh, interesting that I think we were maybe lax on our part, that we never really introduced ourselves in the sense that he has no idea which one of us is Adam and which one is Brad. Salutations, Eric. My name is Adam. It's nice to meet you. And I'm Brad. I think I'm the Seth Rogen guy. Just because... I keep going back and forth. I'm not sure which is which. I think, because I have a more maybe gruff voice and I like stammer a lot more than you. I'm nowhere near as eloquent. So okay. I think that I'm more of the Seth Rogen type, but hey, I would love to be Jonathan Katz. I thought you might be the more intelligent one, so which well, you know would be well not intelligent, but you know he is a doctor after all. Well, I thought you were more doctoral. He played a doctor on television. True, that's true. So Eric, yeah, and Eric again, and I I love the way he put this as well. Um, that, you know, we've talked before how we just simply talk in movie quotes. And again, talking with a few of the listeners out there, we've just started to have conversations completely in movie quotes. 
Right, I just copy and paste from IMDb quotes, right. honestly. Yeah, that's all IMDb you need to do. It's easier, too. It's Just set you know, up some I'm, macros and just go. I'm pretty lazy, you know? Possibly the laziest yeah. in Northern Virginia, you know? <laughs> exactly. Place me high on the running. Yes. Or laziest statewide. Yeah. So, so what Eric E. pointed out was that, you know, as he listens, he imagines, you know, listening to Jonathan Katz and Seth Rogen having a conversation. Which, I'm sorry, is high praise. Oh, without Very a doubt. High, like, without a doubt. I'm incredibly flattered. Right. Just, Too much, Just really. to have someone listening is in, incredibly humbling and flattering. But It is. It really he, is. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and you asked him, well, we're trying to figure out which is which. And, and he said, having listened to more than the bulk of the series, I've yet to determine which dude is which. Seems like some kind of Bush League psych-out stuff, not introducing yourselves. <laughs> Laughable, man. So there, again, the Lebowski language. Mixing and matching quotes from different parts of the movie, combining them together to make a new thought. You know, truly though, it is new communication because it's a mashup. So yeah, exactly. It can be It's original thought. No, without a doubt, it is. It's a, it's a different language. It's a new language. Or We're creating a new language, yeah. maybe. It is. But yeah, if, if that wasn't original communication, then... Yeah, I, then I what is? have. I might as well just sit in the corner and stare mm -hmm. at the wall. That's mm -hmm. all I do. So. Yeah, so thank you, Eric, for your communication and for listening. And yes. And I am Brad. And I'm Adam. All right. Thank you for shattering the illusion that we have one listener. Apparently, there might be two. So. Yeah, I have a lead that there might be a third also. But oh boy! We'll see. Yeah, pressure's on yeah. now. It's all ruined, you know. Right. I'm already walking around differently, like expecting things of people. I'm kind of lording right. it over everyone I see. It's like, you know, at the cashier at the grocery store. Do you have any idea who I am? <laughs> exactly. Google gutter balls. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, so another listener uh, pointed something out. So we are we do have a few out there, although this one is related to me through marriage. Meaning that she is actually my wife. I still count it. It's still Hi, honey. Counts. Um <laughs> she said she pointed out something to me, you know, listening, uh, catching up to these episodes and just do a little catching up, you mean she's not like boom, it comes out Tuesday well, nine no. AM and she's on it? She's pretty much on it, but there's this lag we've had with posting and we're trying to catch up, so it's, it's an OP, not an HP, basically. Yes. Okay. So we, so, but she pointed out, you know, we were talking about the titular Lebowski and how he is a kind of a mashup of FDR and Orson Welles. Right. And she pointed out her having much more, I think, experience with classic film, more of a classic film buff than, than me. That you teased this with me, and I was actually surprised that you had it. I'm like, have you ever even seen this yeah. movie? But well, I've, go on, I've go seen on. it, but yeah. So she pointed out that the titular Lebowski is very much like Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. And so, Which, the more I think about it, is so perfect. Yeah. I mean, both physically and um, philosophically. I mean, here we have a man who is in a wheelchair. He has the kind of plaid blanket over his legs a bit rotund, bald, you know, a lot of sitting behind desks and pounding fist kind of action. 
Um, and he continues to, you know, rail on against the lazy people and the, he calls them rabble. He doesn't use the word bums, but the rabble, you it's, know, that don't it, have the word the bum ethic. of the 40s, basically. It's yeah, the, the 1940s. Well, well, that's an equivalent. Yeah, no, it totally is. Maybe you didn't call people bums yeah. as much in the 40s, yeah. but rabble, that's a good so one. So I, I think, you know, yes, the Mr. Potter definitely involved in the template here for creating the character of the of the of the the big Lebowski his physical appearance even like the the comb over right it, it just like he looks I I swear they had that like the makeup artist or whoever had like a like a screenshot of that in their in their trailer you know it's like here's David Huddleston's character this is the template for him I feel like that has nailed it more so than FDR or any of these other things. Like, if you watch a scene, maybe we'll post this on the Tumblr, but if you watch that scene you sent me, Mm -hmm. yeah, just physical appearance, it's like, that's the guy. Right. Now, he's he's a little different than the big Lebowski because, at least in the clips you sent and i haven't seen it's a wonderful life for a long time yeah me neither i that's why i had to look it up on youtube really his um he goes about things a little differently his attitude at least in that clip he's trying to like almost butter up george bailey to kind of get him to take a job so he's like giving Mm -hmm. him some flattery saying that he's been doing a good job but really his motive is to you know destroy and conquer he's evil he's an evil Right. Fella. But he's, yeah. he's using a different tact right. than the Big Lebowski yeah. uses. The Big Lebowski is just all negative. He's just, you are pathetic. Your station is beneath mine. Therefore, well, he, I have nothing for you. Well, he starts out that way. So I would say that Mr. Potter and George Bailey, there is a different dynamic there. Like, imagine if the dude walked in to Mr. Potter's office, right? It's almost like a what if, right? Or like a fanfic, right? Like, let's imagine this stoner guy comes into Mr. Potter. How would he act, right? Can he we please the make same. that movie? Totally. We could probably just mash it up, cut it together, the original yeah. footage. But that's exactly... So I think it's almost like this, a game like that. But then also, so this is something to look at as we go forward. Eventually... The big Lebowski wants something from the dude. So does his demeanor toward him change? And does it become more something? We'll just leave that out there for future minutes to discuss. Hmm. And I honestly don't know the answer without, you know, looking at it more closely. I'm making a note of that. But, uh, yes, so, yeah, Mr. Potter, It's a Wonderful Life, there it is. If only we knew more about film in general, we could be much, uh, much better podcasters. You know, I usually try to consult some people who know about this stuff before we record, but I just didn't. Yeah. Well, we're going at such a breakneck pace sometimes. It's inevitable right. that we'll leave some things behind, but, you know, we can always circle back around like this to pick up. A lot of ins, a lot of outs yeah. to this case. Yes. You know, I, I watched it again all the way through last night, actually. I had 
a friend over who had not seen it. That's so bizarre. All the way through. There are people out there who have not seen this movie. Yeah. Think about that for a second. So, now she'd seen bits and pieces. She'd seen like the, uh, some of the crazy like dream sequence stuff. Right. So I did a little uh, before and after Q&A with her. So. Oh, interesting. Some data, some research. We got some research. Some anthropological research. Yes, we did. When will be when will you be unveiling the results of your study? I'm not going to go put a timeline on any kind of timetable on it because every time I do that, I just right. don't do it. Right. So you know, sometime between now and the end of this podcast, right. we just may, series finale. Yeah, we may just have to do like the last minute and then do a final six-hour-long episode where we <laughs> finally do everything we've said we'll do. This is at the right. end. It's at an addendum. Right. <laughs> it's an epilogue. Right. Fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, I'm not gonna. It's out there. It'll it'll come by and be somewhere. I guess on the Tumblr. That's what we always. That's like our repository for things we're gonna do in the future, right? Yeah. And never do. Exactly. Tumblr. Well, no. I think it's we we're starting to put some stuff there. That's the ancillary material. Like right. I posted there the blue blockers. Oh man. The I'm, the blue blockers wrap. If anybody's looking for any last-minute gift ideas, I've got one for me. Yes? Blue blockers. Blue blockers. There you go. I want them. I would like if they were darker. I really want... So, I want to wear... I wear glasses. But I like wearing sunglasses. I... How can you do this? Well, you either have to have two pairs of glasses. Right. One pair of sunglasses, one pair of regular glasses. Like, what do I, like, tie them around my neck? Like, the extra pair? What do I do with them? I have them, like, yeah. on a purse. I have, like, a little man purse I carry around with me with my glasses in them. Are they in, like, a big, like, hard case I keep in my pocket that right. bulges out? And I look like Jesus? Well, you're you know? lit, yeah. Gotta go door to door. Right. Or your little, uh... You know, if you have, wear shirts, have like a, little, a breast pocket, right? Right, you put them up in there. But I don't wear shirts that have a breast pocket. Almost never. So, or you get like transitions. But I hear uh, horror stories about those. Yeah. Nobody likes them. Or um, you get like the clip-on ones for a while. I had the glasses that had the little magnets on either side. And you, you would keep the just the clip-on piece, but there's still the problem of like taking that with you. Right. Maybe it can just flip up. Right, you have the flip-up ones, and then you're grade A number one douche. I just... You can get um, contact lenses. Great idea. But you still, even then, you gotta carry the sunglasses with you, but I can't put contact lenses in my eyes. Spent an hour and 20 minutes in the doctor's office one time. They wouldn't let me leave with my contacts unless I could demonstrate that I could touch my eyeball. It's like, okay, you know what? <laughs> F you, but I'm gonna touch my, I'm gonna put this contact, you're gonna see. And it's like, it's like doing like airplane feeding with your right. kid, you know, and like at the last minute, like the face veers off and you go whizzing by, it's like, 
even holding my one hand with my other hand with my finger out, like seeing it coming towards my eye, I would end up hitting like my cheek or my lip or my forehead. Like I couldn't, hour and a half almost, just couldn't touch my eye with this thing. So that's out of the picture. So basically my point is, I want a giant pair of blue blockers, but I want them to be darker, like Kim Jong-il's used to be. Yes. I want to look like a dictator. Well, that has been my philosophy. A despot. I've taken that tack in the past. They weren't blue blockers, but they were sunglasses large enough to go over my prescription glasses. I want to and wear I basically just... a helmet of sunglass. Just like a space helmet. Right. That goes over your entire head. Yeah, just strap it on in the morning, go around, do your thing, come home at night, take it off, go to sleep. All right, the million dollar idea. I, th I think we thing? could turn that fashionable. Yeah, we call it uh, life blockers. Exist in your own little bubble. Sun bubble. Sun bubble, like that. Shade factory, shade sphere. Shade sphere, that's good. That's kind of nice, kind of flows a little bit. Shade sphere. It makes me think of that Tim and Eric episode like what, with the roommate. what shadows are afraid of? His, the Cinco Privacy Helmet, that's what it was called. Yes. With the what? So it's already been done on some level. Oh. But there you go. That's something else for us to add to the tumbler. The Cinco you know, Privacy Helmet. I don't watch that show. I've never watched that show. It's definitely, you have to, you'll love it or hate it kind of a thing. I tend to love it. I tried to watch the movie. I haven't that seen. That was a mistake. Yeah, I haven't seen the movie. I heard it's not very good. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if that's the right phrase. <laughs> I don't know that it's not very good. I don't think that's entirely accurate. It's just something, it's something else. Yes. <laughs> well, as, a, as the you completest in me, I'll have to watch it at some point. Yeah. It's worth at least, you know, as long as the kids are in bed, putting it on just to look at for a yes. little while. And you can understand and, I don't know, be in on the joke or something. What's his name? Ebert gave up on the review halfway through. <laughs> He's reviewing it, and it's like, you know what, honestly, I just can't give a meaningful review to this anymore. I'm done, period. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it was, it was, I don't, not I would going say, around being a big fan of his, but that was pretty awesome. Yeah, if I was Tim and Eric, I would say mission accomplished. Right, exactly. That's what, what they would want. Ha they printed that out. They have it tacked up in their cubicle. So, so this minute, we have a minute of film here to discuss. Oh yeah, that's right. Forgot about that. We should la let's launch into that. All right, let's start. So there is a music in the background, in the bowling alley we, here. We talked about this. I think you told us because you have this soundtrack. Oh uh, yeah, I did not. Weapon of no, the I think I did not mention. I think as soon as we finished last episode and hung up, I said, "Oh crap, I forgot to oh, mention the music." Maybe that's it. I think that's, that's what it. happened. 
So that's where I figured, okay, we can start with it this time. And if I did talk about it, you're just gonna have to hear it hey. again. But this hear was the background is the song "I Hate You" by <laughs> the Monks. Have you heard of the Monks, Adam? No, I've never heard of the Monks. Nor have I. They're, I had they're the, one of the bands, you know. You put a the in front of it, and it's fucking awesome. Yeah, I know. We'll be the shoes. Exactly. I had we'll to be the vines. Yeah, the I had. Strokes, there you the go. The hives. The Yeti. The Yeti. The The. The Tom Petties. The Time. The The is a band. That is correct. The The Beatles. But we'll spell it with an A. It'll be cool. Yeah, that is such a bizarre name for that band. That's a, a thing that is real. That's their name. Like, the Beatles. I know. It's like... World's stupidest name for world's most awesome band. Yeah, I know. It was awesome. very weird way the way that happened. So... The Monks. I had to look them up just uh, yeah, to see if there's remember. anything interesting there. And it is sound interesting. Now I want to listen to their, their whole album. I celebrate their entire catalog, even though I don't know it. Yeah. I believe they just have one album. And so here it's from easy Wikipedia, to celebrate, then. it says, The Monks were a garage rock band formed by American GIs who were based in Germany in the mid to late 1960s. They That's released crazy already. Yep. They released one album, Black Monk Time, which was characterized by repetitive primitive music and chanted lyrics. They reunited in 1999 and have continued to play concerts. Although no new studio recordings have been made. The monks stood out from the music of the time and have developed a cult following amongst many musicians and music fans. And I have to say this song, it's just it is this kind of like repetitive kind it of droning thing but i'm kind of into it and it's just interesting like the 60s were some time when all of a sudden the doors were blown open right it was like okay before you had to kind of be prim and proper and now it's like no we're american gis we're just gonna like bang on some guitars and chant over it and it's like that's that's awesome and it was allowed to be awesome. It was allowed it was just, to be it awesome. It was allowed to be awesome. Yeah, everything was new. It's like, that was when that stuff started, late 60s, and like all this stuff was new, and they kind of did all this stuff, and then since then, now it's just like, well, there's nowhere left to go. Like, some, we, yeah. have, to, we have to rise to some new level somewhere. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they've kind of been revisiting the theme, you know, and yeah. like teasing out the little tendrils of it. It's right. like a tree, you know, the trunk, you have the new tree bursting up out of the ground that's the 60s yeah. and then it's like since then we've been following out on thinner and thinner branches out to the leaves all right it's done but yeah. time for a new tree maybe uh yeah i don't know maybe in 40 years from now people will be looking at like you know animated gifts of cats from the internet and being like that was when it all happened the doors were blown <laughs> open right but right now in the middle of it we can't see it we're just like this is stupid we're too close yeah we're too close you know exactly LOL. So, Black Monk Time. The album Black by the Monks. Monk Time. Song I gonna, Hate You. Is that on Spotify? It is on Spotify. I'm going to listen to that stuff. Yep. Um, I'll actually add that track to, uh, to the Tumblr to correlate when we, um, when we uh, release this episode to the world. Right, sometime in June. Yeah. So, oh, all right, it's been great. Um, I think we accomplished a lot. Yep, yep. 
So the uh, so okay, moving right along. The wraps are all up. Yep. (laughs) So one thing else I know is this is again. I'm just kind of moving chronologically through the minute here. Is the dialogue. And this kind of straddles the two the two minutes, you know. But so Walter brings his dog, the purported Pomeranian, although we right, know the ex-wife's dog. Yes, although we know it's not actually a Pomeranian. No. But he says, and I just thought this was weird. Again, it's a thing that maybe even when you watch it, you don't notice it. But watching it again and again, the minute it started to like kind of seem really weird to me. So maybe. You know, part of this podcast is just gaining really distorted perceptions of things from repetition and then reporting out on them. But what Walter says, he says, you know, like the dude is like, what the hell is that? And Walter says, Cynthia's dog. I think it's a Pomeranian. Can't leave him home or eats the furniture. I'm watching it while Cynthia and Marty Ackerman are in Hawaii. Right. That's a very awkward line there because he already says Cynthia. Then he says Cynthia again. And then refers to her in her full name. Yeah, it's almost little... as if they injected that. And the way it cuts, because he says, can't leave him eats the furniture, and then like it cuts to like the foot, and then you hear him say, I'm watching it while Cynthia and Marty act. It's al- it almost feels to me like they, there's something wrong about the pacing and the way the dialogue goes with the cut. It's almost like they inserted that line later. Like it's almost as if it's an important plot point that we know their names are Cynthia and Marty Ackerman, and they had to shove that into the movie. Although, and then they cut the uh, follow-up to it later on, or something. Yeah, like, well, that's what I was gonna say. That's why it's weird. Yeah, because that never becomes important. But it seems it just seems very weird and forced. There, I'm watching it while Cynthia and Marty Ackerman are in Hawaii. Like, what what a strange way to refer to your ex-wife and their new husband, especially when you just said in the previous sentence, "It's Cynthia's dog." Cynthia's dog. Yeah. It's Cynthia's dog. I'm watching it while Cynthia and Marty Ackerman are in Hawaii. So just a little curiosity. You know, that it is a little curious. I don't I don't think it kills me. I think the point of it is that this doesn't necessarily solve the uh, two Cynthia's, but he just wanted to make a point like, not only am I watching my ex-wife's <laughs> dog, like, that's bullshit enough, as the dude goes on to point out. I'm watching my ex-wife's dog while she and this other fella are on vacation in Hawaii. That's even worse. Like, hey, I got my new man. I'm going to go on vacation. Watch my uh, high-maintenance dog, won't you? Right. Like, it's a double way. So I think maybe they're just trying to drive home the point, like, yeah, not only are you a, you know, a pushover for taking the dog, it's doubly worse because your wife's ex-wife's out with another guy too, and you know this. I don't know, but yeah, that doesn't. It still is a little awkward. Something about that always kind of stuck out to me. I was researching Marty Ackerman to see if like maybe they wanted to put in another inside joke or something. So maybe oh, right. like. Their first producer on Blood Simple or something was Marty Ackerman, and like they just put it in at the right at the last minute to get him a little jab or something. But I can't, there's nothing that really. Mar, there was a Marty Ackerman who was some kind of merger businessman guy, and I guess L.A. kind of moved around New York and L.A. It was like in the '60s, but 
No connection that I could find. So yeah. it is a little weird. I guess that's it. It's a little, it's a little weird. I'm not sure why. I agree with you. It stands out a bit. Yes, and then as he says that, so when they cut to the dog scampering around the floor, and Thurston, Thurston, yes, and just like we noticed earlier when the dude was like, you know, fondling Bunny's foot, his fingers moving. His his feet are kind of twitching. Here's a his bit. feet again. Again, it's one of these things you just watch this without the sound and isolate that. Like the dog's running around, and the way his foot is like moving from side to side, like trying to avoid the dog, and then like yeah, he doesn't want anything to do with that thing. And then he kind of like puts it like it, toward the dog, like kind of like maybe trying to shoe the dog a little with his foot, but hesitantly. Like it's just such a weird, non-complete motion. The the way the feet are moving just really is. If you just really zero in on that. It's just bizarre. It would make a good animated GIF, I think. Well, and that's what I intend to, to do. I'm going to. <laughs> right. I'm. I. Well, I. Uh, there's one for the, uh, the foot, fondling that is going up with that episode, and there'll be one with oh, the excellent. foot for this one. So. Awesome. Yeah, it's kind of like there's a lot of a lot going on with these feet, with our Trinity here, that almost like when. Walter lets Thurston out of the cage. I just looking at the feet. 17, right at 17. 17, mm -hmm. hard count. 17 colon zero zero. The dude's foot is like pointing straight over there, like very close to Walter. It's like they would be on top of each other. Right. Right there. Yes, yes. And it's it's like one of these things where like if you shoot something like first person perspective, like Lady in the Lake or Lady of the Lake, whatever. And you wanna do an effect where arms are coming in as if like, you know, you're looking out from this perspective and there's arm, one arm on either side like holding a package or something. Yes. You have to have two different actors for each, you know, for an arm. One actor is one arm, a different actor is another arm because you can't, one person can't wrap their arms around the lens like that. I have never thought of that. It's, <laughs> is that it's actually really, how they do that? That is actually how they do that. Someone that, can't just that, like get on their knees in f below the camera lens or something, shoot you, above? You can't get, but then you're, you know, your arms are angled up and you want them straight out from either side. You know, it doesn't look right. How do they it's find true. people whose arms match so perfectly? This is or maybe they a don't. casting director has to like audition them. It's like, all right, let me see your arm. You seem okay, but pull your arm out. Wow. <laughs> you know? It's really a, a reflection point to wonder if you really need that shot then. Well, there is a, um, there's a United States Post Office ad that was done and it was all about the USPS. So here a little shout out to the USPS. We are not endorsed by the Postal no. service whatsoever. And it was all first person, not all first person perspective, but they right. had this couple shots they wanted to do to show how simple their new system was. You right. print out the label at home, you attach it to the box, you open the door, there's the postal guy, and your arms reach out, hand it to him, he takes it. So it was like integral to their story. It's like you're seeing it, boom, boom. You hand it out, he takes it. And Are yeah, they had to do that. I don't know. But yeah, it's like, uh, could you just ax that shot? Well, not if it's integral to your story. Right. 
But well, but with modern filmmaking though, don't with the change of technology, don't they have little like small cameras they could do? Like, couldn't you just shoot that on a tiny camera that you could actually like mount on the front of someone's face or something? You could theoretically do that, but it wouldn't. You know, the rest of the production has such higher production values that unless it was supposed to look different, I don't know that you could get it to match. Otherwise, you would shoot movies with a tiny camera mounted to somebody's face. Well, I know Unless that they've done things like that. And again, maybe it... Like, for example, the example I think of right off the top of my head is one of my beloved film franchises, the Crank franchise. And I know that they've done things like in... Um, like, they've done a lot with small, cheap cameras that they treated as disposable. So they would, like, mount it on a remote-controlled car and, like, send it flying down. They'd be, like, let's say, shooting, like, cars driving down the uh, highway or something, and they would just take, like, a, a little camera mounted on a remote-controlled car and send it down the freeway with the cars, like, zooming under the cars and between the wheels, and then eventually it just gets, like, smashed. But then they'd be like, okay, we have our shot, and, like, take the, you know, memory card out of the camera or whatever. And how many seconds of that do they use at a time? I don't know the answer to that. You know, probably, probably a less than one second. Uh, probably two. That's a pretty long shot for a crank movie, if you really think about it. Yeah, it so might, two you might seconds, be wrong. But, yeah. you know, you're not going to have 30 seconds worth of that material. There's right. a reason no, why true. it costs money, and there's lots of people and all this gear. You know, it's good. It's essentially. Oops. It's essentially a special effect. Yes. So. Yeah. That's what it amounts to. So you were talking about the... So how does this connect to the dude's leg being so close all into Walter's grill here when he's opening up Thurston's cage? Because I... I look at those legs and it's like they're wrong. I don't know. It's like... First of all, that's not the dude. It's probably, what's his name, his stand-in. And second of all, I don't feel like he's sitting down. I feel like he's kind of standing there and he's putting his leg over to make it look like he's sitting. I don't think he's sitting, that's all. It's just, it stands well, out to me. you can see the me. chair. You can see his part of his leg on the chair there. Let me cue it up again. So maybe he is sitting, but something about it. What's what not... seems wrong to me is they're like you said they're so effing close to each other. Like literally, they oh, if they are like Pratt, Walter's legs and the dude's legs are practically like entangled with each other. Yeah, it's like they're in an embrace. Yeah, like they're leg embrace. Legs. Yeah, some kind of crazy leg embrace. And they're like, they must essentially be nuzzling with one another up top. I mean, they're right on top of each other. I guess you're right, this shot does continue on and we do see that he's sitting, but it's just, yeah, they're right on top of each other. Even Donnie, you can see his feet in the background there, 1703. He's too close and maybe this is a like a byproduct of compression, like compressing space, like whatever yes. lens they're using, like it's a telephoto and it, it compresses the space and makes things seem like appear to be closer than they are. Right. I but think that's my thought, my initial thought as well. That was my initial thought, but you can actually see, and it comes into play when you see Donnie's foot 
in the back because he also seems uncomfortably pressed up upon them from the foot view. Like maybe it's this lens business, but you can see Donnie's foot and there's tiles on this floor. And these are 12 inch by 12 inch tiles. That's a pretty standard tile size. And Donnie's oh. foot extends halfway across that tile. And then at the end of the tile is the back of the dude's chair. And it's right at 1703. So it's like, he's basically six, like his foot is six inches from the back of the dude's chair. Right. And in fact, yeah. if you look at his right foot, I think it's underneath the dude's chair. Yeah, it is. It's like underneath the chair and actually touching the right. the, the leg of leg. his chair. But like when it when it cuts back to the more like, you know, you're seeing everyone from the waist up, they don't seem anywhere near that close. No, not at all. And again, it could be they really are close, but again, the different lenses, right? If it's a more if it's a wider lens when they're shooting from up top, you know, people don't look so close. Yeah, I, I feel like they manufactured this foot shot. Just, they wanted it all like, right. they just wanted it to look like that, you know? And yeah. it actually looked like they were, because you don't notice it again, unless it's like you repetitively watch this, it doesn't seem out of place until you start like scrutinizing every detail. And you're yeah. like, well, wait, that's weird. Plus Donnie's feet, like he's all lounged back when you see the head shot of them. He's like reclining practically, but his feet there look like he's like sitting like proper hands on his knees, like sitting upright almost. Not quite, yeah. but almost that. No, because these exactly are probably right. three foot actors. You know, they hired three foot actors for a hundred dollars a day to sit in. That's probably Jeff Bridges' stand-in. He gets that work first. He's got uh, you know right of first refusal. But yeah, it's just people who put on the shoes and the green pants. I don't think they maybe was not even paying Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, and Stevie B. Weird. Foot actors. Foot actors. Foot actors. It's an, a cottage industry. So while the dog is running around, you know, this is where we see the dude and Walter bicker as they bicker throughout the whole movie. And it really is Bickering. I think that's just the perfect word for it. Like an old married couple. Bickering. Exactly. Like an old married couple. They're not couple. really mad at each other. They're just bickering. Exactly. It is really, because it's like the dude is like so frustrated, like all the time you can see it building up. He's like, Ugh, just shut up. It's like yeah. they're actually being, like, if this was someone you just met and you talked to them this way, they'd be extremely offended. You don't talk to people that way that you're not intimately close with. Yeah. And it's like a, uh, you know, and I've, watching in this scene, there's definitely some scenes we'll get to later on with the dude and Walter, where I've been like, okay, that's just like me and my wife. Like, we, like, there's times They're where I'm like- They're in at least one or two more scenes together. Yes. And I, I see myself in that. How so? I see there have been times, even before we've done this podcast, where my wife and I have been bickering. And I start thinking, you know, I'm later on reflecting on what happened. And I'm like, you know, it's like the dude and Walter bickering. 
Like, and I think, again, it speaks to the universality. Because, of course, if I'm reflecting on it later, I'm thinking, well, I was obviously in the right. Even though, in reality, I'm probably in the wrong. But, you know, in the heat of the moment, you think you have this point, you're so right. It's rare that you're so passionate about a point unless you think that you're very correct. Yes. And... It turns out, you know, just, I don't know, there's something about, again, the way they capture that interaction. The way these two people have these two different points. And we'll get to much more salient examples later on. But in, re- in watching this minute, I was realizing, yeah, this bickering, it is this kind of like old married couple type of bickering going on between these two. So just a preview of what's to come. I think when we go further down, I might get into some more specific examples. Or I may not. But uh, but it's a testament. I just wanted to, their, to point that out. It's a testament to their intimacy. Yes, it is, and to the I think the accuracy or like maybe accuracy isn't the right word, but the way the Coens have captured some type of universal experience in here that I can even watch this, and these two strange fellows that are bowling buggies are arguing, and I'm like. Can, that can apply right. to me in I so many really other of my relationships. Right. Yeah. That's a good one. So. Has one of my favorite quotes in this minute, too. What do you well, mean, brought at bowling? Yes. I didn't rent it shoes. I'm not buying it a fucking beer. It's not taking your fucking turn, dude. I use that all the oh, time. So do I. It's one of the, uh, you know, it's one of the very important. Uh, constructs here in the Lebowski language we referred to earlier. In fact, I think you've chastised me at least twice thusly since we've started this podcast for various I, reasons. I think, you, I think you might be right about that. <laughs> and this minute, so if we're going to be talking about important quotes, so this minute also has one of the most uh, quoted lines. Over I think. the line? Over the line. Over the line. Over the line! And this is to touch on, because we referenced forward to this moment, we were talking about how, I think I was making a point about how the dude gets surprised because the big Lebowski has a sudden outburst of, like, rage or something. Yes. And the dude wasn't used to that. And the point was made that, um, you know, Walter... I think you were saying Walter builds up to things and then explodes, but here's an example of him being pretty much perfectly calm and then explode like over the line and just like it does come bursting out like that yeah. sometimes. Like he, he's on a he's a hair trigger. Right. And it's also a testament to what we said before that somehow the Big Lebowski is some like bizarro version of Walter. Yeah. He There's really a lot is. of parallels there. Which by the, uh, you know, tangentially, then, it makes Walter a parallel of Mr. Potter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. I want to... So, over the line. He's pissed. Because Smokey stepped over the line, and this is a league game. Yes. And you Although, can't go fucking around right. in a league. If this was just on a, some Saturday night where they're, you know, having a friendly wager or something, you might... You know, whatever. You might yeah. let it go, but there are rules here, right. and Walter is going to follow the rules. This God determines who enters the next round robin. Is he wrong? You know, frame by frame through this minute, I noticed something I'd never noticed before. Okay. I always thought 
Well, I always assumed, I didn't give it much thought, I just assumed that Walter is correct. That Smokey was, in fact, over the line. I took it for granted, like, you know, you're not looking down at your foot when you're bowling. Right. You're looking down the lane. Yeah. But if you go to 17... 1730... 1730 and a bit, so just before it turns to 1731, mm -hmm. Smokey is, in fact, not over the line. And it's if you just go, he's parked on this frame, Smokey's left foot is facing forward, his right is turning back, because now he's maybe going to start to walk back. They've got, you know, he knocked down eight pins, there's two left, good bit of continuity there. And he is facing back towards Walter, and he was very deliberately placed there to visualize that, in fact, his toe has not crossed the line. So Walter's just seeing it from, you know, he's got some parallax going on there. And Walter's actually in the wrong, despite yeah. his contrast-increasing blue blockers. Well, it's hard to say. You're going to talk about toe slippage? and Well, I just don't know. I mean, it's very, it certainly looks casually like, yeah, he's not over the line. He's close, but not over the line. But I think it's really hard hard to say definitively like this is a close call like you need like a photo kind of like not a photo like like not a finish but like yeah kind of like that idea like you know you have to go back to the tape to really make the call like it's from this angle it's hard i mean you know could that his toe be touching the line be like you know a hair over it i can't say 100 percent no to that again this is it's a borderline case and that's why we have the argument here so I and I never assumed per se that Walter was right. I was never sure, and I always felt it was like, well, they don't show us for sure one way or another, and we don't know. Again, just like the characters in this scene, I don't think can say for sure. They have their opinions, but you know, there's no way to be like, yeah, Walter's right, Smokey's right, the dude is right. You know, even again, if we're gonna see it from the dude's point of view, the dude doesn't dude doesn't have a clue. I think. Um... I think that's kind of my point, though, is that you can't know who's right. Right, it's yeah, just, no, exactly. It's one person's word versus another person's word. So whoever's going to be right is the guy with the gun, obviously. Yes. But what I think is going on is that in the filmic language now, the Coens are giving us the answer here, and I think that's why... So when I, you know, it's a little harder to see on the iTunes version, but when I look at the Blu-ray, okay. it's, it's pretty clear that his toe is, like, you can just see it. He's placed there, and it is not over the line. I just think it's another detail that they put there. But you just, also don't know, when he rolled, you know, did like, he step back? Yeah, I mean, it's not moving. Like, his left foot is just planted there. Yeah. You and, know? Yeah, and it's such a quick. I mean, without without we have to pause it to even see this detail, really. So it's not like they were trying to like telegraph to the viewer what was no. happening. It no, could it could be a maybe a gem for the reward of like you know combing through frame by frame. I th and that's I think that's what I'm getting at. I think it is a gem. It's like look, here's a detail. Egg that we put in there, he's in fact not over the line. You can see it if you look hard enough. Yes. Because otherwise, I don't, you know, he'd be moving around, because think about it, you're on set, 
you're framing this shot up, this is all you're looking at, is this shot. You're looking at it more than we're looking at it right now. That's true. You know, it's framed up, you can see every detail in the whole picture, and they're looking at like, you know, the Sputnik shapes in the background and all the different lanes and like, you know, maybe we gotta get a bowling ball flying through in the background. So it's like you're scrutinizing every inch of the frame. It needs to be perfect. So, also he's right in the middle of the frame, first of all. Not first of all, but just, he's in the middle of the frame. Would the tendency be to like put him on the left third or something? Yeah, I mean, he's slightly off center, but yeah, you would think... Ever so slightly. But yeah, you'd think he'd be much more to the left if you're framing this in the traditional way. And you were cutting back and forth, so he's alone in the shot. So we're cutting from a three shot of the dude, Donnie, and Walter from left to right, and then we cut to a single of Smokey. So maybe it would be like awkwardly balanced visually if you cut from a three to this single and the single is all the way on the left. Maybe it like feels weird in your mind a little bit, like disjointed, like a little off balance or something. Yeah, I'm not, I can't say, but I was, yeah, I could think, say there could be something to do with that. Because the dude and Walter are talking, you're kind of going back and forth between them, and Donnie's right smack dab in the middle. So I think if you cut to Smokey, and he's way over on the left third, yeah, your eyes might get a little confused. And yeah. it would actually be more work, like they get tired somehow. Yeah, I, it, it works actually. If you watch the cuts, like it's just right. Like. It's not a mistake or anything. Yeah, I mean, obviously no, not works. a mistake, but yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know enough about what you'd even call this. I don't know what you call it, but there's, there's something too, like your eyes are on this part of the frame. And then if you're cutting to another shot, you need to, it's like, it's leading the audience's eyes and what their expectations are of like where shit's gonna go down within the frame. And I think like, you know, sometimes you want to draw attention to negative space. It's like you're expressing an idea of openness or um, emptiness or like, look at this thing in the empty area or whatever, like you use that. But I think in this case, this movie is largely character driven. They want to keep it focused on the characters. So they wanted the focus to be clearly on Smokey when we cut to him. I don't know. These are things that's easy to talk about afterwards, but just think about planning this movie and storyboarding it and like figuring out where to put Smokey in the frame for this couple of seconds that he's on the screen here. You know? How many hours of work that took to make this look good. And like flow correctly. I would want to see like a comparison, right? Like if we could somehow like reshoot it, like maybe put, reshoot it third. Yeah. And then compare and be, and maybe it doesn't even matter. Maybe it's just like, Oh yeah, either one kind of works or be like, Oh no, it's way better with him where he is. I, I think it'd be, be curious to do that. Yeah, I would too. Uh, I think it works. 
I don't know. I would say it's going to work better, a lot better this way somehow. For that reason, this is why I say that. So I edited this, um, just a little corporate video, right? It's one of these things where you have your script and like different people are saying parts of the sentences. They made fun of this concept on Portlandia recently. Maybe, maybe not recently. Um, Sorry, I'm having all kinds of issues. That's all right. Issues. Um, they they stalk us. Um, and I cut it two different ways because it was shot on a green screen. So everybody was shot against a green background, and then I was just putting some other background behind them. The point is, I could move them wherever I wanted to in the frame. So I did the first version and I didn't, um, it's just kind of a rough draft and I didn't move them around because the idea was, you know, we shot some a little tighter, some a little wider and we'd have some on the right, some on the left, some in the middle. That was the idea, but I didn't do that. I didn't move them around at all. So we just shot them tighter, a little tighter, a little looser, but right dead center. So you have, you know, green all the way around, move them around. And I just left them all dead center for the rough cut. It's like, here it is, here's the timing, here's what they're saying, and it worked really well. It's like, oh, that looks good. And they were all just dead center. And it's like, now it comes time for the fine cut, and I put the work in. So I move them all around, it's like, ooh, yeah, I'll go from, uh, you know, one's on screen left, and then one's on screen right, and then one's a little closer in the middle, one's on the left, and watching like a minute long of like jumping around and like people are, to the left, to the right, to the middle, they're all over the place. Your brain got tired of hmm. it and you got confused. And I'm like, this works 27% as well as that first version where I did nothing to them. And we actually got rid of all of those moves and they were just all dead center. And it's like, oh my goodness, this makes yeah. so much more sense now. That That's a because I thought maybe we were going to say jumping them around it like varied the shots it kept your brain more engaged or something no no it's the opposite of that it actually made it work too hard and you just completely lost interest and it felt disjointed and just weird just fucked up so somehow they know this somebody knows this on this set or not even on the set when they were boarding it out, I guess. Because who, you know, you just don't generally frame things dead center like that, unless it's for a, like some kind of effect, like like monolithic 2001, there it is, dead center. I'm trying so. to decipher these like rules. There's, you know, conventions and rules, but they're largely invisible. I want to know them and understand them so I can use them, but it's tricky. A minute to learn, a lifetime to master. Sagely advice from Brad. Thank you, Brad. You're welcome, Adam. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Smokey, so here we are now. We're entering into an argument between, a disagreement between Walter and Smokey. Little altercation. So what do we know about Smokey? He's an interesting fellow. Another, you know, motley 
part of this Motley Bowling Crew. Yes, Motley Bowling Crew. C-R-U with like two dots over it, crew. What do we know about Smokey? Well, he does, go on, go on. I don't know much about Smokey, but I knew, do know that uh, Jimmy Dale Gilmore played himself in Peter Bogdanovich's Thing Called Love. So Jimmy Dale Gilmore is the actor who plays Smokey then. Yes, this. So I'm not talking about Smokey now. Right. We're gonna so, we're gonna peel back the curtain here and talk about Jimmy Dale Gilmore. Because I haven't met Smokey. I don't know anyone that knows Smokey, but I do know some things about the actor playing Smokey. Smokey, here's one to wrap your face and brain around. He is one of the founding fathers, essentially, of Americana, the musical style called Americana. This sort of like folky, bluegrassy, oh brother where art thou-y music. With a band called the mm -hmm. Flatliners. The Flatliners, okay. They, they released one album in 1972. Um, and then that was basically it. Now, I think they did release one finally after you know, like 30 something years. In 2009 they had a follow up. But they are deeply, deeply respected in the music community you know, for being some of the pioneer, or the pioneers of Americana. The Coens are really into music, I think. Yes. Just, to, just to have this guy in your movie, you know? I, and when I first saw it, I had no clue who Jimmy, Jimmy Dale Gilmore was. No, no idea. It wasn't until recently, even, that a friend of mine pointed it out to me. It's like, you know, that's Jimmy Dale Gilmore, right? It's like, I have no idea who that is. One of the pioneers of Americana. His producer was T-Bone Burnett, and Burnett was actually responsible for basically recruiting him to this role, I guess. The reason I mentioned Peter Bogdanovich's Thing Called Love, though, where Smokey, or Smokey, where Gilmore played himself, yes. is because Bogdanovich also directed Texasville, starring Jeff Bridges. So everything is just in closed little loops, right. or half-closed loops, I don't know. Eventually the loop closes, I guess. Takes you a while, takes a couple turns, a couple roundabouts, but it all circles right. back. Well, Peter eventually. Bogdanovich did um, um, bah, 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 The Last Picture Show. Wasn't that like a some sort of prequel, sequel, requel to Texasville? Or was that the precursor I to Texasville? I think Texasville may, may have been the sequel to that. Yes, that's what I meant to say. But, but yeah, they're they're really because Texasville was '80s, right? Last picture show was like a yeah '71. I'm looking at it. Yeah. Right. And that was what put Jeff Bridges on the scene, isn't it? Dwayne Jackson. Yeah, he played Dwayne Jackson, which wow. I've never seen. The last picture show. I don't think. Nor have I. Now, my brother loves it. He swears by 
Well, not necessarily Last Picture Show. I've kind of always wanted to see The Last Picture Show. It gets referenced so much. It's on it, my list of things to see. Yeah, but mine too. But I also have like the Grand Canyon on that list. So it's like The Last Picture Show, Grand Canyon. No. You should see the Grand Canyon before you see the Last Picture Show. So I can't. Do you mean conscience. Grand Canyon, or do you mean the Grand Canyon? The Grand Canyon, like the gouge in the earth at the bottom. Oh, you mean the actual Grand Canyon, not the movie Grand Canyon. The actual Grand Canyon, the big gotcha. spo- like cut out of the carved out of the earth from I, rock I am by the Colorado now. River. I need to see that okay. before I see the Last Picture Show. Like, there's no comparison. Okay. I'm not going to go around watching The Last Picture Show when I haven't seen The Grand Canyon. True enough. But maybe you should see the movie Grand Canyon before you see The Grand Canyon. That's up for debate. I'll grant you that. All-star cast there. Danny Glover, Kevin Kline, Steve Martin. Steve Martin, right. Mary McDonald, Mary Louise Parker, Alfrey Woodard. That movie was a bit of a thing when it came out. People were talking it about it a little thing. bit. It was a thing. I don't think it stands up well. I don't think it stood up well even like three to four years later. Right. It's very it's like, much a product of its time. Yeah. I remember saying like, you know, I should see that when it first came out. It's like it was kind of on there. Like, yeah, I got to watch that sometime. But then a couple of years goes by and it's like, you know what? I'm actually okay not seeing right. that. It was kind of like... The Crash the of crash? its day. Remember the movie Crash? Didn't it oh. win Best Picture oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a while back? I haven't J- seen that one either, but it's the same thing. Like, oh. James Spader. Here's. No, no, not that no, one. Not, not that, that one. Crash. Oh, that other one, Don Cheadle Crash. But it's very strange that both those movies have the same title. Why do they do that? Why and they- like, the James Spader Crash, come on now. I don't know. Well, I read that book in my sci fi class. <laughs> I had a science fiction class in college and we had to read all these admittedly pretty awesome books. A lot of like, I don't know, Heinlein, Blake, where that story came from about the envisioned future, Gibson. Um, Yeah, it's where I was introduced to a lot of cool stuff. One of my favorite novels, Alfred Bester, The Star's My Destination. Love that crap. But we had to read Crash. And it was uh, uncomfortable. Is that actually like, I might just be getting confused, but isn't that. It's book, not science fiction. Yeah, it, well, and isn't it like not even like narrative? Isn't it just like a weird collection of bizarre things? Like, I might be getting confused with a different uh, book by... No, I know what you're talking about. What's that That's... guy's name? It's driving me crazy. I can't think of it. Um, the collection of random things? Well, the guy that wrote Crash. Oh. The novel that I you had to remember. read. He's... Ballard. J.G. Ballard. Ballard. That's right. Yes. Yeah, and Crash. But yes. Wrecking cars and anal sex and just generally like... Hmm. This is not what I was expecting. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right, but you know, I read it. At least I read it. I read all those books. That's probably the only class I ever took where I actually read everything I was supposed to. 
That's not true. I didn't finish the um, the Lem novel, whatever that one's called. Stanislaw yeah. Lem. Um, Solaris? No. It was, I think it's short stories. Okay. Was it the Siberia? I think it was the Siberiad. Maybe it's not short stories. But I couldn't quite, I enjoyed it. I couldn't quite get through that one, though. It's a little dense, a little, uh, little wacky. Did you remember the collection of random stuff? Have you figured that out yet? I don't know what that was, but I remember someone in college had that. Yeah, it was just very weird. I feel like it was something that was also made into a movie. It might be, I think it was the Atrocity Exhibition. That's the one. That's the one. I remember this one. Was neither an exhibition, really, nor did it involve atrocities of any sort. Yeah. What was the deal with that? It says here on Wikipedia... It's like, the here is a picture of a missile. <laughs> the Atrocity Exhibition is split up into fragments similar to the style of William S. Burroughs, a writer who Ballard admired. Burroughs, indeed, wrote the preface to the book... Though often called a novel by critics, such a definition is disputed because all its parts had an independent life. Why I Want to Fuck Ronald Reagan, for example, had three prior incarnations. Say that again. Why I Want to Fuck Ronald Reagan, for example, had three prior incarnations. Did you read it? Did I read it? Not like cover to cover. It's not like something you could even read through. It was more like leafing to me. It, it, to it me, was it was like more like a, a textbook. A yeah. Or like maybe like a magazine. It was just like, yeah, like here's a section on something with a bunch of like, and there would be all these weird diagrams. Like, yeah, and I just like remember here's... a picture of a missile. That's what I remember the most and thinking, and that being the most striking image. Yeah, but everything in it was very phallic and sexual. So it wasn't, it was, I'm guessing, I don't know, but it was probably like a picture of a missile superimposed with like a penis or something. Or showing like a missile like flying into a woman's mouth. Like it was very psychosexual, crazy. Like, yeah, it was pretty. I found it unreadable. Or at least, right. you know, the effort it would take to actually like consume all this material and try to make sense of it was, was massive. Far more than I was willing to, to do. I figured the reason it would be difficult to consume would be because of its uh, atrocities. But really, it was just like, this is, you know, not very interesting instead. I was actually a little scared to open it up. It's like, whoo, whoo, you're reading the Atrocity Exhibition. Oh, shit. Well, let's open this thing up. Oh. Oh, I actually have to put effort into, like, comprehending this collection of things. Yeah. Ugh. Who wants that? I wonder if Jimmy Dale Gilmore read the Atrocity exhi ex Exhibition. Undoubtedly. He's a Taoist, after all. Yes. Must be exhausting. Yes. IMDB says, The inside joke, of course, is that as a practicing Taoist, Gilmore is himself a pacifist. <laughs> right. I'm not sure if that's an inside joke or not, but it's a... Con yeah. Sure. Because they're probably friends with him. Yeah, well, T-Bone definitely is. Right. Right. Maybe that was one of his conditions for signing on. I can't be seen as management and you have to make fun of Jimmy's pacifism. Right. 
I did. So in doing some research for this, I did look up uh, Jimmy Dale Gilmore, just some cursory Google searches. I did listen to a segment of the Prairie Home Companion with him. Okay. And his band, I guess it was his band at the time, or what it is, they're called the Wronglers. Jimmy Dale Gilmore and the Wronglers. I don't like the way that sounds, the Wronglers. Yeah, it's a little bizarre. It makes me think of like a bad... Be like a B-level sci-fi movie from the '80s that was trying to ride the coattails of the Gremlins uh. and having some little tiny, like green demonic things running around. They were the Wronglers. So it was a sp- be a spinoff from Critters, then. Yes, yeah, sp- Critters. Spinoff yes. of a spinoff. That's what my brain was trying to reach. Yeah, <laughs> the Wronglers is a second-rate Critters. Do you realize this is the second time we've referenced Critters in this podcast? It comes back. <laughs> because it features bowling! Yes. Yes. <laughs> There's bowling in Critters. Briefly, but it's there. Yeah. Well, and the Wranglers then features, you know, Americana. <laughs> Substitute the Americana for the bowling and the Wranglers go spewing forth. Are they but- teethy? They toothy these wranglers? I think so. Yeah, yeah they, they got teeth, teeth on right? them. They got some teeth on them, without a doubt. They're probably covered in teeth. Yeah, you just, can't you can't touch it or pick it up. They're right. just all like r- razor-like, great white shark teeth. Yeah, sticking out in every direction from right. every square inch of the skin. And, until they open their mouth, and then that's filled with teeth too. Teeth yeah. upon teeth. Eighteen like rows of teeth. Yeah, and every time one comes out, like there's six more there that can swivel up into place. Mm-hmm. The Wranglers. The Wranglers. But anyway, so I listened, so I got a chance to hear like Jimmy Dale Gilmore out of character. Because I was wondering, like, again, with these movies, like I can't imagine that Jimmy Dale Gilmore isn't actually smoky. He's, it's hard to do that. You figure he's playing himself. Something like that, yeah. But no, he's he is nothing like Smokey in this Seriously? audio recording. There's not. I mean, you can tell it's the same guy, animated he, and sprightly. I mean, you know, you can tell it's his voice, but it's it's not the same character at all. Well, you know, he was the front man and the singer and the songwriter for the Flatliners. I think for the most part. I mean, that alone should tell you like he's not this soft-spoken behind-the-scenes fella. You know, right. Front and center. Yeah. Interesting fella, this Jimmy Dale. Jimmy Dale. He would, uh, he and the dude, he and Jeff Bridges would, Dale. you know, riff. They'd jam a little bit. They'd do some picking and some strumming between scenes in the trailer. I guess Jeff Bridges is a musician also. Yes. Well, he, yeah. Jeff Bridges goes on to play that crazy, crazy heart, is it? Yeah. That much crazy. acclaimed movie where he's like a folk singer type guy. Is that what it's crazy heart? Yeah, but he played Bad Blake. Didn't see it. Didn't see it either. I don't see a whole lot of movies. I just stick yeah. to the must-sees, like Lebowski. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, when I think about... The fact that I watched The Big Lebowski front to back again, I think about all the other things I could be doing. 
But that's what I chose to spend that portion of my life doing again. Well, you were doing it to share, right? You were I was, right? Thank you, right? That's all right then. Like, yeah, it's it's so great because when you see a movie you love so much and then you try to share it with someone new and hopefully they like it, it's like you get to see it again for the first time. You get that vicarious thrill. Like, I love that. Yes. I love yeah. being able to do that. Being like, we're going to sit down and watch this thing that's so totally awesome and you have no idea how awesome it's about to be. Yeah, that, and that can happen with lots of different... Like, that can happen with a song, like a piece of music. It can happen with, like, a, a dish, like a meal at your favorite restaurant. Like, oh, I'm so excited for you to try this. What else does it happen with? That's a thing that humans experience Yeah. in multiple arenas. Right. We need to make everyone else... Maybe it's partly we just want to validate ourselves. If I'm to be more cynical, <laughs> as I tend to be sometimes. I'm really into this music in the background, too. I'm going to listen to this uh, repetitive, chanty army rock. Yeah, I'm going to load that up. Well, what else you got? You got anything else? Not I'm too out. much. I mean, I think the acting in this scene is nice again watching again and again i'll just mention two things briefly because we are starting to run a bit long probably but you know again so we have this argument and you know again watching john goodman's performance here as he continually becomes perturbed with the situation and i notice how he's saying like you know this determines who enters the next round robin and like his head starts shaking like he can't even believe that this is happening that anyone could not understand this. How could you interpret this situation any differently than I am interpreting yeah. it? It's yeah. very clear. There's this head shake that goes on. And then I was also watching Donnie in the background. Yeah, Donnie's I, got a weird face yeah. going on back there. I mean, I call I, I kind of think of it as like he has a look of concern. Like he knows something's happening. He's better a little, pay attention. Uh, Something's happening, but he's unsure. Some uncertainty. Like what? What's going on now? Hmm. It's more than concern. It's a little. He's. It's the taste. It's a little distasteful. Yeah. I say it's a little. Ugh. This is distasteful a bit, for my tastes. Anyway. Yeah. It's because like, it's kind of his top lip is kind of like curling up a little bit. It's like this weird, like yucky. Not half smile. It's like he's just seen something icky in the bottom of the uh, drain in the sink. It's like, but he's a little bit behind. You know, he's not totally up, but he does sense kind of like when the animals were running from the tsunami. It's like they're all running. They know. They don't know what. They couldn't tell you, but they're running. They know something is wrong. Humans are oblivious. The animals know. Yes. Donnie has like this animal sense about him. All right. Should we put a bow on this? I believe so. I just need to, uh, then I can go, you know, hit the head. All right. Which it says in the background there. Hit the head. That's what it says. Hit the head. It's right to the left uh, of the dudes. Yeah. Well, it actually says hit the eed. Right. You can't see the but, H. I assume, we're assuming it says hit the head. And there's a picture of a bowling pin next to it. Right. Which is kind of, that's kind of phallic also. Could be. 
Yep. This was, yeah, they don't assume there's a lot of women here in bowling. This was kind of throwback. Right. You can be... Made in the 50s. As chauvinistic as you want. There's a pro shop in this bowling alley. I noticed I'd, that. I'm noticing that too now that you're drawing my attention. Yep, pro shop. Do they still have pro shops in bowling alleys these days? You go in there, it's like, man, you know, my ball's been acting funny. It's kind of got this wobble I don't like to it. And, you know, he takes it. It's like, all right. And he puts a tag on it. It's like, come back in five days. We'll take a look, give you an estimate. What goes on in the pro shop? That could be it. Or is it like, you know, is the resident pro in there? Do they have a pro in there? It's like he bowled a 300 in the championships of... 78, used to be a name, up-and-comer until that elbow injury. RSI of, you know, early on in his career, kind of knocked him out of contention. Now he's been relegated to a pro at the Hollywood Star Lanes, which granted, if you're going to be a pro, this is probably, you know, the, the right. most prestigious position you can have. Hollywood Star Lanes. It's the most famous bowling alley there is. Yeah, they would have a pro shop. They would continue having pro shops long after other bowling alleys discontinued theirs. And the head of their pro shop would have probably been on tour at some point you know, in the big leagues. Not exactly a small timer. Right. He's the pro of the pro. Yeah, the pro's pro. Anyway, yeah, we can put a bow on it. It's Regrettably, I didn't watch this episode without the picture on. So I didn't... I just got lazy, I think. I just didn't do it. So I'm glad you were able to pick out the, um, what are they called, the monks? Yes. Yeah. Yep, I'm going to go put on some headphones, lay on the carpet, and listen to some some monks, I think. Yeah, I think I might do likewise. As always, it's been an adventure, Brad. Thank you. Yes, I'm Adam. And this is Brad, signing off. It's been a true pleasure, my friend. Always. Poop. Poop. Next time on Gutter Balls. Smokey, my friend. You're entering a world of pain.